you hear about shrinking margins and margin compression at the dealership, but if you could just provide a more convenient uh, path to purchase, sure, could that not potentially increase your gross profits just like it has for Amazon? And just based on how the consumer is interacting really across all segments of retail. So I think there's definitely a fear of the change, but I also see it as, man, we can really cash in on this next generation because they just want it to be convenient. Sales, marketing, automotive. Jason Harris has done it all. This is the After Hours with Jason podcast. After Hours with Jason podcast is sponsored by DDS Beer Club. Beer specifically crafted for hardworking sales professionals. Find out more at ddsbeerclub.ca. Um, hey, Arthur, for everybody that, do, that don't know who you are and, and sure. where you work and so on and so forth, can you give us that rundown of Arthur Castile and how you got to where you are and, and in this industry and the business? Sure. So about uh, seven, eight months ago, I joined this company called Modal Insights, and they are looking to revolutionize, I guess, the way consumers interact with dealerships. Um, so giving them more options on the online side of things. But before that, uh, have been in sales my my whole career, which is probably about four and a half, five years. Nice. Uh, started in finance, um, then transitioned to a company called Lone Wolf Technologies. And they are, not a lot of people have heard of them, but they're actually the number one provider of real estate tech in Canada. So that was very interesting. Uh, going from kind of the finance to the tech sales world. And here I am at Moto Insight, uh, bringing all of those learnings from the tech side of things and how they how they operate to the dealership world. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, I find myself today. Cool. So tonight what I think, the, I wanted to bring you on because, you know, I don't want to just do a podcast where we're just talking to Know, presidents and co-founders and CEOs and and dealer principals and and so on and I want to make sure that we have a very diverse audience you sure. know, on the podcast and I think the um, the value that you bring to the table is that you're just you're new to the industry okay you know so you don't have you don't come in with these bias right you know you don't have these predefined you know opinions of you know how the industry is supposed to be or the direction that it's heading in right sure so you know I'd like to hear from you you know kind of your your first opinion of the industry and maybe two or three things you kind of learned or maybe things that maybe surprised you sure yeah that's a that's a great place to start so um, I actually just recently uh, was did a guest takeover of the dealer talk podcast and my first question was very similar to that is I'm a new guy, help me understand something. Why do dealerships run on 30-day sales cycles? It seems that <laughs> every, it, it's just the, it's so short-sighted and everything is within those 30 days. And as soon as that's over, they take about, I don't know, three, four days to close out the month and it's the same story. I'm like, how could you ever run a business with 30-day sales cycles? <laughs> it just didn't make sense to me, but it, it just seems to be the norm yeah. across everything. And I mean, I guess they've been doing it like that for, for quite some time, but I got to think profitability is hurt with such a short-term look. Oh, 100%. It, re- it really is. It really is. And the reason it really started was the manufacturers. 
because they had to report on sales every single month, yeah. the dealerships themselves were forced to create monthly targets. Now, some manufacturers have gotten better where they, they've not only included monthly targets, but given them quarterly objectives. Mm-hmm. So they've given them a, a bigger period of time to kind of meet what that ultimate goal and objective is. But it all started was because you know there was some ego as far as who sold more cars that month when it comes to manufacturers. It's how mm. we were rating manufacturers was who had the most amount of sales every okay. single month. So that's where it kind of started. And unfortunately, it really hasn't changed much. And in some cases, some manufacturers are actually incentivize the dealerships to sell and really focus on a 30-day sales cycle. Yeah. The unfortunate part is the dealership is the one that loses and the consumer is the one that loses because we're so focused on buy, 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 must sell, must sell, must sell. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I'm glad you brought that up because the other thing I noticed was the fact that the relationship between the OEM and the dealership is, <laughs> I don't want to say tainted, but uh, it almost seems like they're their values and goals aren't aligned sure. right? To, to that point where a lot of the time the end result is the consumer suffers, right? They almost don't even want to go on the lot because with this buy, buy, buy mentality, that guy is running out of the lot and saying, hey, what what can I interest you in or what, what brought you here? Sure. So I found that so interesting. And a lot of these conferences, um, what gets the, the crowd going is the fact that one dealer principal cracks a joke about an OEM, and it seems like everyone <laughs> resonates, right? It's like, why would I spend, I don't know, $25,000 revamping the tile on my floor? How is that going to help me sell more cars? Sure. And then I've heard about the stair-step programs, which uh, I guess <laughs> also don't incentivize the really the really good-performing dealerships, right? Yep. And and they're having record-hitting num- record months. So... It's been very interesting to hear about how that relationship with the OEM plays out, how dealerships that are selling more cars have more of a voice than the the one maybe selling 50 cars a month, whatever it may be. I, I thought that was, yeah, it was very interesting, that type of relationship because it, it doesn't seem like they're playing on the same side. No, in a lot of cases they're not, you know. And, of course, you, you get one you know, story when it's in an open boardroom with everyone together. Sure. And then you get entirely different stories when you're in separate boardrooms and they're two different parties, you know? Um, So really what what you're looking at is the issue of the manufacturer requiring, requesting, or demanding volume and a dealership needing to make profitability. Mm. So the battle starts there. Yeah. The battle of we need volume versus the battle of, well, we need to make profit on each one of these transactions. Yeah. You know, so that is literally where the battle starts to begin. You know, one one side of it is like, no, you know, you need to hit my numbers. The other side of it is like, I won't do that at the sacrifice of losing profit within each of my deals. Yeah. You know, and that just is just always been an ongoing battle between the manufacturers. So the problem is that literally lies the problem is that they're two different, entirely different goals and objectives. Yeah. Right. And then the... And then you get the salesperson when you move down to the next level, who again just gets beat up again because you know they're getting torn because their managers are torn between volume and gross profitability. And, and which brings me to another point because I heard that there are you're either a volume dealer or a gross 
Yeah. Why? I've heard that comment a lot. Why can't you be both? You can, but it's all within perspective, you know? Okay. Um, I can continue to maintain gross and be a volume dealership um, without sacrificing, right? But, you know, will there someone that will, you know, give up more of that gross profit to continue to be a higher volume dealership? 100%. So it's 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 a give and take. It's not that dealerships don't want to sell more cars. They do. They got they do. Yeah. And trust me, they do, right? Yeah. It's just they need to be able to maintain some profitability to keep those doors open. You'd be amazed how many dealerships right now, these last few months, being as cold as it is, they will lose hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars just to keep their doors open with the intention of making up that loss over the next six months. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's just uh, it, yeah, it's it's always it's always been a battle between between the two, and you know the consumer is the one that ultimately ends up get, losing because of it. Sure, right? Because um, there, there's a push onto the dealership to sell more, so that for uh, there has to be a push all the way down to the salesperson level. That when someone is in the dealership, you push, you push, you push, you push. They gotta buy, they gotta buy, they gotta yeah. buy today, right? Yeah, yeah. You gotta hit my thirty day target, and then it increasingly got worse from manufacturers actually rewarding dealerships to hit their volume targets. Yes. You know, then it just really, really made the whole thing, you know, messed up, right? It's just like, so now they started rewarding dealerships for losing profitability and increasing volume. Yeah. And, this, and this it is just, what doesn't oh, make God, sense it's a dirty, dirty cycle of just crap, you yeah. know? So I, I don't know when exactly it happened. I don't know... You know why we continue to do that I think the dealerships out there that are proactive in their efforts won't put as much emphasis on it and they will just decide to run their own race and I think that's what we should be doing okay. as dealerships yeah when we put our blinders on we should continue to run our own race that's a very intuitive uh, uh, thing you've noticed so yeah it's just it just kept being brought up over and over and even in the conversations it's oh my only won't let me do that I'm like oh, you're a franchise I get that but yeah, if you're if you're trying to be profitable, it just yeah, it doesn't seem like it's aligned. So, I guess my question then would be, why doesn't that OEM help with targets and make it a, a profitable business? Well, because uh, they're know, wholesale. Because they're just they're a wholesaler. They care about moving. They're a wholesaler. They just they, they, need they make to, cars they need to and they have metal. to sell them. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Okay. And dealerships need to move metal, but they need to make money on it. Yeah. You know, uh, they're not a wholesaler; they're a retailer. So I think it's the always, ever, never-ending battle between wholesale and retail. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, the unfortunate part is is that, you know, uh, manufacturers have attempted to assist dealerships yeah. in a form that really wasn't in their best interest. Like, let's say co-op. <laughs> yes. Yes. Have you ever heard a dealership about... say, oh, I can't do that. It's not co-opable? Yes, I have heard you speak a little bit about the, the co-op. <laughs> co-op, a.k.a. handcuffs. Um, <laughs> it's the manufacturer's way of ensuring that the dealership is um, uh, utilizing a message that's relevant to their goal and objective, not relevant to the dealership's goal and objective. Sure. You know, um, is it is it uh, appropriate for a dealership to be advertising the lowest price point humanly possible? Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. Right. 
but it is in the benefit of the manufacturer to do so. So as long as you advertise the lowest price humanly possible or the vehicle that they've defined or whatever parameters they define, you know, then that's in their interest. And we'll give them, we'll give you these, co- these magical things called co-op dollars. Yeah. And they are, I call them magical because in a lot of cases they're not even necessarily real dollars. It's like, well, you know, uh, you pay for half and I'll pay for half, but let's just jack the price up. So it's not really paying for the half yes. at all. Um, yes. It's, yeah. I have heard of that as well. I will get some dirty comments about it. <laughs> I can guarantee it. It'll be from sorry to sorry to bring it up. No, yeah. no, no, no. It's cool. It's cool. What else? And and I think that's that's a great point that you brought up. And thank you and thank you for for bringing that up. What else have you noticed though over the last the time that you've seen? That's definitely a big one. That's cool. You brought it up. Um, I think the. So it, from my perspective, our company, um, we also we we always talk about the future, mm-hmm. right? Of the e-commerce disrupting the way business has been done. We've really seen across any retail segments, but uh, most most auto dealers would agree with that statement, mm-hmm. but it seems like they're not preparing for it or the, it's, uh, I'll, I'll handle that once it comes across my 30-day sales cycle, right? Sure. It's, it's, it's a problem that I can't, see too far down the line that I'm not going to prepare myself for. So yeah. I'll, I'll handle it when it pops up. So I thought that was interesting just from the fact that they agree it's going there, yet they don't want to make any moves to kind of... So maybe that's that's on us uh, and not talking about how um, we can help them future-proof, but also move the, move the needle within the next month as well, right? What you guys do as a company is incredible incredibly valuable to the dealership as far as the form of digital retailing that's what we're talking about um you have to understand though um you know asking a dealership if they want a six-pack you know abs everyone's gonna say yes <laughs> i was thinking a six-pack beer um i'll say yes um but but you know asking someone hey do you want to be healthy and do you want a six-pack everyone's gonna sure. say well, yes absolutely how many of those are actually willing to do the work to do so Far and few in between. Yeah, you know. So, and that's just one of the things you're going to run into. I don't think anybody disagrees that digital retailing and be able to, to uh, do as much of the sales process online before coming to the dealership is the wrong direction. I mean, everybody agrees because that's the way everybody's buying. I mean, yeah. all these people at the dealerships, they're prime members. You know, they use yeah. Amazon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or they've ordered Swiss Chalet from the app. Um, my family will call me. We're hungry. I'm like, yep, I'm on it. <laughs> it's on its way. You know, I, I, it's yeah. just, we, we, this is already a part of every daily or majority of daily activities and purchases that we do. Um, but it's, it's down to who makes the move first. Sure. You know, unfortunately in this game, it is a lot of that. Right. And then as a few do, everyone kind of falls. Yeah, you got your early adopters and but they're afraid. They're afraid of how much work it's going to take. Um, You understand? A dealership in itself is an ungodly amount of work. The machine to keep that machine running and operating and and rolling along is just a tremendous amount of effort and hours and manpower that has to go into that. So to show them this great, amazing exercise routine that will ultimately yield you six pack abs. Yeah, you know it's great. Ah, yeah, that's a lot of work, right? I see, I see. So I, I, I think I think we're going to get to that direction, but I understand why a lot of us just haven't necessarily made the jump yet. Sure, yeah. 
that's uh, no, it's a very valid point. And I think to your to your point there of convenience, right, and how we how we shop. I think it is inevitable, but um, even Amazon. I mean, they started off as as what the the cheapest thing you could buy on the internet. Yeah, but. I found this point so interesting because we often reference Amazon, right, when we're talking about digital retail or the future. Everybody wants a Amazon-type dealership. Sure. Um, and what I found interesting was one dealer actually called me out and, and said, uh, people don't even price shop Amazon anymore. No, they don't. They really right? don't. There's guys my age selling T-shirts that they bought from Walmart on Amazon because they know it will give them a profit. So it's, it's I don't know, maybe this is Jeff... Jeff Bezos whole plan the whole time kind of bleed the market and then just because it's so convenient now I can slowly start to raise my prices sure people just buy into the fact that yeah you know what it's I click one button it shows up at my door the next day the reason I bring that up is I think that's how my generation if if I can speak on that um, (laughs) that's how we buy yeah. It's, it's like maybe there's not enough financial literacy, but just because it's so convenient and you click it on your phone and it's there. So I think there's also... But I would I would warn you, though, don't think of it as a generational thing. Yeah. If you actually look at Amazon usage, the heaviest demographic of Amazon usage is actually over the age of 60. Yeah, I know. I saw so, that the other so day. So it, it, it is not... It, it, it's, it, it, it's a convenience thing, but the cool thing with convenience is that it speaks across all ages and demographic and ethnic backgrounds and it's just it, it's it's that convenience that 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 uh that you guys's tool or that process that process brings to the table of digital retailing yeah and and i guess why i brought that up was you hear about shrinking margins and margin compression at the dealership but if you could just provide a more convenient uh path to purchase sure could that not potentially increase your gross profits just like it has for amazon and just based on how the consumer is interacting really across all segments of retail. So I think there's definitely a fear of the change, but I also see it as, man, we can really cash in on this next generation because they just want it to be convenient. No, and I think what we're going to see over the next five years as more dealerships get involved in digital retailing is that we're going to see more and more case studies of the dealership making more money on a per, on a per transaction basis. You know, at, at my dealership, you know, we... Um, you know, we got rid of all of our desk. You know, I, I don't believe in desk. I can't stand them. Just simple reason: you sit on one side, I sit on another side. I got my cards, you got your cards. Instantaneously, our body language is into a form of poker game. You know, yeah, it's just sure, like, sure. let's play poker. You know, and it just so I never liked that whole concept in the first place. And, and in addition to that, the whole payment process drove me bloody nuts. Like, yeah. here, you know, Mr. Customer, let's fill out this uh, uh, worksheet with these four squares on it, and I'm gonna go disappear into that office. You see in the <laughs> back there you won't see me for about five to seven minutes in fact you won't even know what i'm talking about i probably will be talking about you and um you know then i'm gonna come back out with some scribbles and if you've seen my manager's handwriting not just but but scribbles and in big bold black marker and and i'm going to do my best but probably do a very poor job of explaining to you how i actually achieved those numbers in the first place i'm going to i'm going to assume uh, because of the piss poor way i explained to it that you're going to want to sign on this dotted line and purchase this vehicle right i mean it's it's only a 40 or 50 thousand dollar purchase right (laughs) just you know can can you please sign off on my handwritten 
you know, black marker chicken yeah. scratch payment. Sure, that sounds like I a mean, good when idea. you put it that way, where do uh, I sign? It sounds like wonderful, right? Doesn't I... that sound like an amazing thing? You know, and, and it, so, at, so at our dealership, you know, we, we um, instead of uh, desks, we use round tables so that we can actually sit next to the customer and, yes. and we actually work together yeah. uh, through the process. Um, the payment process was done at table not behind closed doors in fact yeah. we actually uh, put a TV very similar to that and mounted it above that and actually allowed the customer to actually build the payment themselves yes and uh, we didn't know we just thought that would be a better way to do it but the, there was a lot of value that came from that right the bottom line was that payment that that created that the customer built was their payment not my payment, yes. okay? So yeah. they took ownership of that payment, and that's a big part of what your guys' digital retailing tool does is that the consumer gets to build mm. that payment. They own that payment, and when they come into the dealership, they're able to continue to extend that experience just right where they left off in pure and nothing but transparency. The tool that they used online is a tool that they used inside the dealership. Yes. So now this ownership of this payment is not something I have to sell to you. I don't have to sell this payment. You 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 created yeah. the payment. Yeah. So the amount of discounting we did was actually lower, 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 lower month after month that we continued to do this. So, no, I'm very confident, and I know there's a long way of doing it, but I, I, I will tell you straight up, I've lived it. Yeah. Where, um, you know, embracing that process and that transparency in your sales process that digital retelling can bring will vastly improve the gross profit, you know, per transaction and increase the closing ratios 100%. Yeah, yeah. And we closed 40-some-odd percent of the time. But it's also because we had to, though. So here's a funny story. I know I'm turning the whole podcast about me. Whatever, I will. Uh, it's my show. I get to do that. <laughs> you know. Well, but but no. I mean, I just I know that you're you're here. You're learning. So I just I think this is a great yeah, opportunity to, awesome. to go over this. I, I was a small dealership. All right. If I was going to make rent, <laughs> if yeah. I was going to pay that magical nut, you know, every single month, yeah. then I didn't have an option. All right, I was a Mitsubishi dealership. I'm not a major flag. All right, sure. I had to close forty plus percent of everybody that walked in the door. It wasn't a question of that'd be great. It was no, that was what I was going to have to do to keep the doors, to, or I was going to have to convince a crapload of people to not buy a Toyota and buy a Mitsubishi, which more likely wasn't going to happen right out of the gate, sure. right? So, you know, I had to, and that was the goal and objective. And then I had to work backwards towards technology to help me try to meet that goal and objective. And, and I realized real quick is that the more friction I removed from that sales process, that means the, the more of those mountains and valleys that you have in each one of those sales processes or those sales micro experiences, you know, uh, that friction in between there. If I removed it, the faster I got to the end. The faster yeah. I got to yeah. the end, more money I made, and the higher I was able to close. Yeah, I mean you're speaking my language. I know. <laughs> the funny thing is, that was eight, no, seven, seven years ago. Yeah, you're doing digital yeah. retail before there it even existed. Well, so. the cool thing is now you guys actually have the tool. Yeah. Now you're actually able to turnkey the process, not the solution, the process. Yes. You get to turnkey the process over to the dealership. I had to scramble and build and put it from scratch from multiple systems just yeah. to kind of make it happen all right yeah so no i mean no you're in there i mean what you're selling is the the future you sure. can sell the future yeah yeah so arthur tell me why aren't dealerships buying the future 
<laughs> um, I think you kind of hit on it. It's it's change can be scary, right? Mm-hmm. And especially if if it confuses you and you don't have. Um, I was speaking with uh, another marketing guy like yourself, and he said, "Let me ask you this: Out of uh, all the the dealership staff, which ones have formal marketing training?" Which ones have been trained on Google Analytics? Mm-hmm. And the answer is probably none. It's no. someone that was given that position or they were lucky enough to hire someone with some background. So I feel for them. I think there's a lot of confusion and they've been doing things a certain way and it's been working clearly. And now that there's, I, I guess you can call it disruption or a little something a little newer that you're not familiar with, the default uh, action to take is to just run or stay status quo, right? Sure. Why would I move? There's nothing pushing me to move. I know it's coming, but you know what? I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to change tomorrow. I'm just going to run my dealership. I'm going to still sell cars. So I think there's confusion and uncertainty around that. And everybody wants, hey, give me the numbers, give me the numbers. Well, <laughs> the truth of the matter is digital retail hasn't been around long enough to have those numbers to say, yeah, this is a sure bet. And really, to that point, what is a sure bet? At best, it's a it's a very highly educated guess. Nothing is guaranteed other than, I guess, death and taxes. So- well, you got to be able to sell the value today. See, the value today of the solution is not going to be the same value today as it is going to be in two years from now. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Right? So, I mean, the, the value today of signing up with this process is that, A, it brings a process. You, you have mm. to understand how important that is. Yes. There are so many dealerships out there right now that... It's not that they want to, but they're operating by the seam of their pants. Yes. You know, it's a, yeah. it, they don't have a written out defined process. They don't have a way to measure the effectiveness of these processes. Yeah. You know, I mean, you guys are bringing that kind of value. And that in itself is the, is the value day one. Yeah. Day one, there's my value, right? And then, you know, uh, month two and three, the value is the ability to be able to market what this experience is going to be. Yes. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I think what you guys have to do is you have to define out what that value is during the beginning and how the value continues to evolve over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there because it it can be useful, to your point, of of getting a process in place, allowing that customer, or I heard someone say, TO it to technology, right? Mm -hmm. Every time they do something on the website today, they're waiting on someone to get back to them, that sales rep. What happens if they don't, right? Why, and even when they do, they say, hey, when can you come in? So just by allowing them a process to kind of allow technology to take over some of that grunt work so they don't have to go out and hire, you're right, I think that's tremendous value, but, yeah, to, to your point, maybe we're selling the future too much. So not focusing on how does this impact your dealership. The value today. right now. Exactly. There's future value. Yeah. In fact, they don't disagree with the future value. I think you probably get that, right? Sure. Yeah. They have Prime accounts. They order with Chalet from their app. Yeah. Right? I mean, they, they do... They, they do it, right? So, so, so they see that, but they're looking for that value right now, that yeah. value that they can get three, four weeks into it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And, um, you know, I say this a lot. A process is only as good as how well it's written. Yeah. But only as effective as how well we can measure it. I like that. Yeah. You know, you got you to gotta start somewhere. Yeah. You know, I was in a dealership the other day, a, a well-performing dealership, by the way, too. And we started talking about their test drive process. And they're like, oh, oh 
oh, we got a test drive process. I said, that's great. What is it? Then they told me all about it. I said, that's amazing. Yeah. I said, I don't know, where, where do you guys, how do you train on it? How do you, how do you train new people when they come in with this, with this test drive process? Because sure, it's, quite, it's quite comprehensive. And they go, well, you know, we tell them about it. What do you, what do you mean you tell them about it? Yeah. You ever play the game Telephone? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You ever try to tell somebody something, and then that person tells another person something, and then so on and so forth. By the time you get to the end of the row, it's like not yeah. even close to what you were saying. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to have that defined written process, but then you have to have a means to measure the effectiveness of that process. Otherwise, you have no idea how good it is in the first place. Yeah. So here they are with this process, which on the sounds of it sounds impressive. Yeah. But no way to actually even measure. A, it wasn't written down. B, there was no way to actually measure yeah. how effective it actually was. Yeah. You know, and that's I, that's where I see a lot of value where your guys' system can kind of come and play in. Is it helps to find kind of out what those steps are, what those processes are, giving giving the the salespeople a blueprint to sure. follow. Yeah. Right. Because you can kind of bring in that tech at every single level. Now it's just up to the dealership just to measure its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think that's the more we're talking now, I realize, yeah, it's really about outlining that process. And, and it's not the tool, right? We it's, yeah. it's the process that we can outline for them. The tool is just a means to, to deliver that process and measure that effectiveness. So, And you think about the end of the day, I mean, look, users are not the only game in town when it comes to you know digital retailing. There are... Yeah. What would you say? Was there about a dozen now? A half a dozen? A little even, over? even the, the yeah, definition the, for digital retail. A lot of people. It's loose. Yes. So. Okay. You know what? That's a good point. Let's actually talk about that. Define digital retailing for me. Ooh, I recently heard a definition that I really liked. Okay. And um, from a marketing guy out there in, in California. And he said, digital retail isn't really about connecting the the online to in-store because that's that's how i guess i would define it originally he mm-hmm. said it's a better way to merchandise your inventory and get the customer the information that they need in order to progress their own deal i said well that's i really like the sound of that sure <laughs> so i guess it's it ultimately um it has to affect the end user yeah. right it has to make it better for the people we're selling cars to which is consumers so i th- I would describe digital retail as creating the best experience that we can for the consumer so that they're able to purchase a car however they want. Sure. Whether it's at home, in store, a little bit at home, a little bit in store. If they want to order one from their phone, by all means, whatever it is, just allowing them the option to do that. That's, yep. that's kind of how I would think of digital retail. No, you're bringing value to the customer. And what dealers need to understand, because the question would be, well, why would I want to do that? Yeah. You know, well, they have to understand that when you bring, when you do it for the customer, you're the one that actually always ends up winning. Yeah. And we can see that through everything that Amazon and any other e-commerce solution out there has done. Yeah. Is that they've continued, the more value they continue, how they're able to continue to stay on top and be more relevant, is that they continue to strive to try to bring more value to the customer. Yeah. I ordered something from Amazon the other day. I didn't even know if they. Did. I didn't even know they did this. He sent me a picture of the package sitting on my, on my porch. Uh-huh. I can't imagine how much had to go into not only the tech, 
but the systems and the people and the process. All right, and everything that had to be involved to just simply send me this simple image of the picture being on my on my porch. But the value was not in theirs. What what value does it bring to them? It had to be a very expensive endeavor for this to get inputted, right? Um, But the value is to the consumer, not necessarily to them. But because of that, that just continues to strengthen the why I will continue to do business and purchase with and do do purchasing with Amazon. And I think I see that as being kind of the value proposition with the dealerships. They have to see that is that what you're doing is you're continuing to evolve your process to bring value to the customer and in return the customer sees the value in what you're providing to them and their their loyalty to the brand just continues to, continues to increase yeah and just to your point that like even how you're describing value to me what i'm hearing is this company cares about me yeah right they care enough to say hey what you purchase from us it's good it's right there on your doorstep any other questions so i think what we want to know is that the company cares about us yep they care about the purchase that we just made. It's We're not just an un, another number. But Amazon basically said, hey, that package you ordered from us, we're going to make sure that it arrives there. Not only that, we're going to let you know when it's arrived. It, that's value, of course, but ultimately I think what they're getting at is they care about your purchase. Yes. And when you take that focus, it's, it's a very, how do I say, a, a natural human driver just to, to want to be a part of a tribe or want to feel cared about. And I think yep. that's really what drives purchases and, and why you want to associate with a brand. And we get to do that through your guys' tool as well. All right, the consumer gets to go online. They get to go as far as they want to through the sales process. And then when they come into the dealership, pick it up exactly where they left off, yep. right? It is There's so much respect and acknowledgement for the consumer's time yes all right that we're not going to waste it all right we're going to pull up that information oh mr smith so you were here let would you like to continue to finish should we start talking more about this and just boom right into it yeah and and people are willing to pay for that we've seen it right with the with the amazons and and all of these places where all of a sudden it's not about price it's about the experience and and what does that mean and and does this company care for me and i think if to your point i think if you focus on that the profit comes you don't even have to to worry about how you price yourself i mean you probably should but i think as a natural byproduct people look beyond that number and say i i feel good about doing business here yeah yeah it's cool because you're new to this industry you know, you don't, it's, but you're able to see this value already because it's just your consumer. Yeah. Right? I, I think as dealerships, we got to we gotta wear our consumer hat more often. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, we just, we're all consumers. Yeah. You know? So, so why the hell are you operating your business in an entirely different way from the way you actually like to shop? Oh, I, lo- I love this one. If I could just uh, tell you this one story. So... Especially when we're showcasing the Moto Commerce platform, the question we often get is, "Well, as a consumer, couldn't I just take that price and go down the road?" I'm like, "Yeah, but that's your dealer hat that you're wearing, right? Yeah. You consumers don't shop that way. They don't. Yeah. They still think it's they're motivated by price, and it's just like, no, the fact that you just made it so easy, and I can just go there and pick up the test drive. I don't want to go and get hassled by the guy down the road. Yep. But they still think like that, right? Even from a a consumer perspective, they say, okay, yeah, I'll take that price and just go down the road. 
I don't think this tool works for me. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, that's what they said when um, Apple, Apple launched iTunes. There's no way you're going to get people to buy, spend more money for a single song versus they can just buy the entire album. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. No one's going to do that. Yeah. You know, and they're like, ah, yeah, watch. Yeah. If you buy each song individually, you're paying 30 to 40% more than what the entire album actually cost. Yeah. But People's path the of least resistance. It's just what I want. You know, yeah. I don't want the whole damn album. I just want the two songs. Yeah. You know, so it, no, I 100% agree with you. We're, we're going, we're all consumers. We're going to consume. We're going to buy the way that we want to buy, regardless of whatever the hell the dealership thinks. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, it, and if, yeah. You know, if, if there are customers out there that they don't care about anything but the price. Sure. And they may garage shop you. But who the hell cares? Yeah. You know? Yeah. They were going to do it anyways. Exactly. All right? Yeah. In, in this case, they didn't come in and waste two hours of your salesperson time to get a quote to then take it down the street and shop. In this case, they wasted very little of your actual salespeople time. And they took the damn paper down the street to get a, to get a quote anyway. So, you know, I mean, like. They're going to do it regardless. At least, it at least we save them time. Right? We save them time. <laughs> Right, we didn't waste two and a half hours of a salesperson's you know time and a manager's time and yeah. frustration. Yes, right. They're gonna do it. Let them do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's a that's a good point. So you now you you so you've been with Moto Insight. How long have you been with Moto Insight? You've been uh, I think just surpassed seven months. Coming up on eight months. Okay. But who's counting? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you've been some to these conferences. Yes. You know, and, and you're new, so I'd love to hear your your thoughts and opinions on automotive conferences. I think, I think they're great because a lot of knowledge gets shared. But maybe if uh, to the earlier point, it it does seem like it's a lot about the future. And then what am I doing with that knowledge when I come back? Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was great to hear about that. He has some really interesting ideas. Um, I'm gonna wait to see how they play out for that specific dealership rather than try and implement it. So. I think the knowledge is amazing and it's great to even see that I know dealerships compete against each other, but that they can host these types of conferences in hopes of sharing the best practices, how they can ultimately make it easier for their consumers to get a get a hold of them, purchase a, a piece of inventory. So I think the knowledge part is awesome, but uh, I, I'm Maybe I haven't been around long enough, but I'm not sure how much of that knowledge they're executing on. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to find that in this industry and similar to a lot of others. Sure. You know, the knowledge that you receive from these types of conferences, you know, are, are uh, will produce great ideas, but the ideas are only as good as how well we can execute them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that would be one thing that I would love to see more in automotive conferences is more about how to actually execute not necessarily the theory or the idea behind whatever the whatever new or uh, new progressive product or service or solution is, right? Yeah, you know, I, I would love to see us. You know, oh, let's see, let's see this. I've um I've had the opportunity to visit a lot of dealerships. Yes, been in and out of them, right? And I will tell you this is that there is not a lack of good ideas. Yeah. I mean, I've been I've been taken back by some of them actually. Yeah, you know, I'll sit down in a boardroom and just go. Wow. Well, I never thought of doing that. Yeah. That's an amazing idea. Well, how's it going? Well, we haven't done it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's something you'll find fundamental in this in this in this industry is that um, we just don't do enough execution. 
You know, we just, we, and, and, that's, and that's one of the reasons I built the business that I have. That we decided to niche ourselves into that space. Yeah. You know, just, we just execute, you know. Um, but it, it's, it, and that's where I think dealerships are. I, what you'll find is that they'll want to do storytelling. They won't disagree with anything you have to say. In fact, the entire time they'll be, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. And then the demo will be done. Yeah. And then you'll follow up. Because you thought you had a great demo. I mean, the whole time, boss, they were just doing one of these. It was just like, oh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's our fear to fail, which holds us back to the ability to actually execute. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Is that we're too afraid in this industry or in this business to fail. You know, we just have to embrace the fact that we're probably going to screw this up. Yeah, and I, I, to that point, it's just there's so much going on right now in the industry. It's it's one of the reasons why I actually wanted to join in the first place because um, speaking with Andrew Ty and, and having him paint the vision of really the way consumers have um, started to buy things, the automotive industry is lagging behind. Sure. And, uh, I mean, there's electrification, right? We hear about Tesla almost every day in the news and, and what they're doing over there. There's ride sharing. Seven, eight years ago, uh, an Uber? What the hell is that? Yep. Now it's just like, oh, shit, the Uber's waiting outside. It's just common language. So I, th- I think it's a very exciting time, and there's a lot happening, but... When there is so much happening, the yeah, the default action is just to say, I'm confused. I'm just going to stick with what I know yep. and, and keep doing that. Yep. So, yeah, I wish there was, uh, yeah, to your point, maybe more, how do we execute this? How do we do that, uh, the dealership makeover from um, back in the day to, to more modern progressive? I think well, that'd be I, I think I think what will help you, if I can give you some advice, is encourage them to fail. Yeah. Encourage them to sign up with this product knowing that they're going to totally mess it up the first time <laughs> they do it. Yeah. Just get it out of the system. You know, just get it over with. All right. You, your first attempt at developing out the processes and following the processes and make, is going to be a, a disaster. Yeah. All right. Someone's going to walk into the dealership and they're going to say, I did this online. And everyone's going to go, you did what? Yeah. What yeah. Did, who are you? What are you doing here? Here, let me, which car did you want to buy again? You know, just, just let them fail. Tell them it's going to be a disaster the first time you do it, right? Yeah. But, but the cool thing is, is by doing that and failing at that, that's when you're going to learn where your team's weaknesses are, where the opportunities are, and you're going to continue to develop and build off of that. And we're going to provide you the technology and the systems that support the processes to help you build and develop off of that, right? Yeah. I, I think if we did a better job in removing dealerships' fear of failure, yes, we would actually do a lot more executing. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, and I think we did take a very almost arrogant approach when we first launched because sure. we thought it was such an incredible tool, and we're just going to give you this tool and best of luck, right? Yep. And and what happened was that exactly there was no process laid out. Hey, we have this tool; it's not working, so. We, we started to pivot and say, look, it's really not the tool. It's how we support the dealership to use the tool, right? We're mm-hmm. going to give them this, but we're also going to give them a process. And we're going to say, hey, before we even give you that process, what do you, how do you guys do that today? Mm-hmm. How can we enhance that? We don't want to rewrite the, the script on how you guys do business today. It's just, okay, there's a friction point there. This is how we can solve that. Yeah. So I, 
I absolutely agree with it's not just a tool. We have to focus on the process and actually make it clear to the dealership how this is going to be executed. And they have a partner in place that's going to guide them through that in case they have that fear of failure. And see, that's exactly what we want to hear as dealerships is that we want to hear that there is a partner in place yeah, and that this is not a set it and forget it. And I'm not just buying something. You're going to drop it off in a box and then leave. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's that there, there is going to be, and it is, you look for something this new, something, you know, um, this revolutionary, you have to be there from the very beginning and, and continue to service the crap out of it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I feel very confident that you guys are willing to do so. I appreciate that. You know, I, I'm going to tell you straight, I, I'm not sure yet, but I'm confident that I think you will do it. Nice. And, and you know, if you don't, I'm going to call you text. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll hold you accountable. You know, that will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what, um, Arthur, I, I really appreciate you taking the time, you know, to, to come on here and spend with me. And I love uh, watching your career continue to grow um, I think you're doing a great job of creating a brand for yourself you know in addition to helping support the brand that you work for Moto Insight and um, it's, it's cool to continue to watch you develop through that career so it's really exciting that's awesome is so uh, for uh, anybody that um, would like to connect with you is there any what's the best way to connect with you yeah I am obsessed with LinkedIn <laughs> okay almost, cool uh, me too <laughs> I have almost deleted all other social apps so um yeah linkedin is definitely the the place you can find me and and if uh just before we sign off i could give you some props um, yeah you've been instrumental in, in my career development as well so oh, you were you're one of the first guys that i saw posting on linkedin i said okay he's got a lot of good ideas let me follow him and it's been really nice to learn from you and hear the types of thoughts you bring um, that not only help me learn the industry, but that I can share with other dealerships. So thank you so much for, for everything you do. Strategy with Jason, Bell to Bell, um, awesome stuff. This podcast, I think, I, I know I definitely appreciate it, but I think the, the dealership community is going to appreciate it even more. Oh, cool, man. I really thank you. I really, you're, you're awesome to say that. Uh, hey, you're a true practitioner and right. a one hell of a guy. There we go. Thanks, Arthur. I really appreciate you taking the time.